Welcome to Liberty Monks Podcast. James Mundy here with Mike Mundy. How are you doing tonight, brother Mike? I'm doing fantastic, my baby brother. How are you? I haven't heard baby brother in a while, but I'll yeah. take it. I pulled out, <laughs> pulled that out of the old chest. <laughs> I'm good, brother. I'm good. Um, had a great Father's Day, and I hope you did too. And I uh, hope all the fathers out there had an awesome time uh, with their families. So uh, we've got a we've got a uh, awesome guest tonight. Um, we had a great opportunity uh, to talk to Dr. Mark Sherwood out in Myrtle Beach when we were there, and now he's been gracious enough to come and spend some of his time with us. And Dr. Sherwood is running for governor of Oklahoma, so this is a we're getting to crunch time, Doc. Uh, we've got eight days, I think, until primaries, and I know you're hustling and you're busy, so we appreciate the time you're taking, and um, love to give a little bit of your background here for a moment, if we could. Well, James and Mike, thanks for having me, you guys. I appreciate what you all do, I honor what you do, and I'm super excited. I uh, feel really blessed to be here with you. So thank you that for that. Um, yeah, a little bit of background. Um, I was a former 24-year veteran of a major police department, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, this is way back when, 10 years of which was on the SWAT team. So had the opportunity to serve my community. And during my final few years, I was stationed at the academy where I was in charge of training, recruiting, background investigations, et cetera. Um, I decided to, and even with the wellness program, which we didn't have, so I decided to go back to school and um, started getting into naturopathic studies and um, eventually became a naturopathic doctor. And I joined my wife, who's an osteopath after that. And she's also a naturopath, too, if you knew. But mm-hmm. my wife, Dr. Michelle, who's my, I like to call her my, not my spare rib, but my prime rib, right? You know, <laughs> she's awesome. And um, we started a practice called the Functional Medical Institute. We've been doing that for the last 10 years, uh, battling hard against medical tyranny, even before people knew what medical tyranny was. For us, it was battling a system that we knew did not work. And so we wanted to create an alternate system. And we did, and we have. And even despite the naysayers, we've been super successful at that and get get to see people from around the world, man. So James Mike, it's been a blessing with that. And then... The last couple of years, we know medical tyranny has really ramped up a few notches. So we were right in the front lines with that, yeah. facing it head on, not compromising at all. And then about a year ago, just probably through me exhibiting my frustration and, and probably th- through like training me and my wife for such a time as this, we just knew. I mean, we knew in our hearts and I probably said something to her first, like I'm supposed to run for office and. I didn't know if she'd say, you have lost your ever loving mind, but <laughs> she didn't. She just said, I'll support you and whatever. And we decided to step up and through just looking around the different places, we thought we could make the biggest dent, the biggest effort. It was clear based upon our age, experience, life experience, um, me seeing the worst and best of mankind and going in different things when I was on the SWAT team that had to be done because it was duty. It was honor, even though I mm-hmm. had to walk through fear. We knew the position of governor was the right thing to do because God had called us to lead um, people out of bondage physically. And so uh, we understand now that God called us to lead people, a state of people out of bondage physically, emotionally, spiritually, and even financially. So we know we're called to be healers in this land and we feel good about our journey. So brings us to current. We are um, rapidly approaching the gubernatorial primary, which is June 28th. Well, I appreciate the fact you don't mess around because most people, you know, start with community and then they go to maybe a 
state rep or a mayor. He's like, ah, oh, governor. <laughs> well, I mean, Let's go it, for it. Know, <clears throat> yeah, Mike, that's I get asked that a lot. Why did you do that? Well, you know, I had to be honest with self, right? And so when you get that that call, that burning bush kind of thing, that that is right. I feel like Moses sometimes. I'm like, you know what? Why don't you just start me with leading out maybe one or two people, not the whole right. nation? <laughs> and so I, I kind of feel like Moses must have felt um, inadequate. Like, why me? But I'll tell you, man, and this is, I'm very transparent all the time. Um, I have seen and, and experienced uh, just the hand of God work and his power. And he has given me a thick skin. And I've been through some, a lot of bullets, a lot of harpoons from front and back and the sides, a lot of loss of who I thought was friends, but who never were. And so probably all of that, all of this has been preparation ground. And, um, hey, I look at myself as a non-politician. Uh, Donald J. Trump was a non-politician. Yep. And I make no bones about it. For such a time as this, we are equipped. We're more than qualified because we're called to do this job. Yeah, when well, well, we had an opportunity to meet you and, uh, and your wife, Dr. Michelle, out in Myrtle Beach. And what was fascinating in the conversation that we had with you too, it was what you just said that you're not a career politician. You're not, you're, you're, you're a doctor. You you two have been making it. You could have just stuck with what you're doing, make it an yep. impact. And you decided to, you know, run for office, which is not an easy thing to do. I mean, you're up against the machine. We talked about this a little bit in pre-show. You're up against big money, the machine, you're up against the establishment. And as we all know, anybody that's in non, non-establishment, the establishment doesn't seem to take too kindly to. No. So you're working hard, you're out there doing your thing. And, you know, one of the things that we, we talked about out there was just that these, you know, these Marxist strategies to destroy families and infiltrate our country's great heritage and tradition. I mean, it is an onslaught. And it's constant. And I know you go, you two uh, are passionate about that. You see that, you know, it was, um, you know, they don't want, they don't want anybody who's a Christian. They don't want, I mean, it's, it's incredible. The, the, the wall that has been put in front of uh, good kind hearted people that are trying to make a difference in this world. And you're one of those good kind hearted people that's trying to make a difference. Um, and to your point, June 28th is right around the corner. That's the gubernatorial primary. Yeah. Can you give us an election update on just kind of where things stand at this point? Yeah. Um, we, you know, we, First, when we started way back when, we we were not included in any polls. They would just want us to go away. Like, you guys are like a a, a gnat that keeps circling around. Just leave us alone. But uh, eventually, we started showing up. And now, really all polling that occurs in the rural area of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. we're always number one by a good margin. Um, and we've been to rural Oklahoma, so that explains why we actually talk to people. Politicians don't go to rural America. They don't. We're told right. not. Right. right. But we did because we thought people matter in the um, more metropolitan polls. We're always number two. So, you know, it's just a matter of, of who turns up to vote at this point. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have no regrets at all. Uh, we, I was telling you, you know, pre-show, we haven't compromised one bit. We haven't bowed down to the system one bit. And it's much like, you know, like we were fighting against medical tyranny, the establishment there that is like mm-hmm. big pharma, you know, you can't do what we do and be successful. There's just no way we were told that it's the same, same principles. You know, you, you can't run for office and be successful. There's no way I'm telling you there is because mm-hmm. the space of Oklahoma politics has changed 
has changed forever because people have been willing to step up now. We've seen other people be inspired. And now we have this kind of what we call a liberty ticket, you know, that runs around the state. And we're we're all linked together, you know, emotionally and spiritually and physically. And you don't see that, you know, so it's changed. Now we probably have 30 to 40 candidates that we all are in sync and we all march together across the street and across the state. And it's really cool to see. That's fantastic uh, to hear that and to hear that it's about unity and about yeah. community and, and, and start. And, and the thing is, you know, we, again, we talk about this all the time. We have such deep historical heritage in this country and it seems like they're trying to make everything bad and it's not all bad. And yeah, there's always been mistakes. That's why history is important. That's why you want to make sure that that doesn't get lost in the shuffle because we don't want to repeat the same mistakes twice. And, and so the, the fact that you're out there doing what you're doing, um, you know, is, is pretty inspiring to say the least. Now, what, what do you, uh, as you look at the competition and everything right now, you mentioned they, Hey, you're on number one or number two in all these polls. And it's just the basically it's a, a two man race at this point, based on what you can see. Um, what do you see as the main difference between you and the competition right now? Well, it's, it's quite a bit. And this is not just, uh, current governor Kevin Stitt, and I, I want people to understand I'm not anti-human being, and that's not the point. But mm. I am um, combat, com- coming against and combating against the lack of leadership and a lack of knowledge. I think the greatest thing that people need to be aware of, and the differences in, in my competition is, I know the Constitution of the United States, right, and I'm not going to violate it. Hence, the mm. unconstitutional mandates we've had: vaccines, masks. We need a governor who's willing to step up much like a governor DeSantis, for example, and say, absolutely not, not in this state, because that leads us to the 10th Amendment, the state sovereignty issue. You know, we have a governor who not only allowed mandates and who actually had the audacity to tell churches to close again, the state has no authority in the churches, right? And so the 10th Amendment tells us that the states, the people that retain the powers, unless they specifically give them over to the federal government, we need to understand that the states are more powerful than the federal government. They work for us. It's not the other way around. And most people don't understand that this governor was asking the federal government for permission to do stuff again. So primarily the major difference is constitutionally. And then you look at something called the GOP platform and every state sort of has a, a Republican platform and a democratic platform, kind of what they're supposed to do. Well, in Oklahoma, we have a grassroots GOP platform that the rhino Republicans don't do. They don't even read it. They don't care. And some of the things that are there, for example, are no LGBTQ teaching in schools. The Ten Commandments will be displayed. We'll say the Pledge of Allegiance. We'll put in God we trust. Mm-hmm. We'll teach Judeo-Christian values. It still happens in Oklahoma. Every day there's some nonsensical um, indoctrination happening, and we don't do anything about it. The GOP platform stance also says we support the complete abolition of abortion. Uh, abortion is contrary to the word of God and it, it's murder and it should be matched accordingly in state statutes. But we still have abortions. Man, we've entered, entered abortion like 300 times in Oklahoma. You know, it's like mm-hmm. all these bills, but we still have it. Just it's nibbling away at it. And that's not what we want to do. Um, business culture. And this is a fascinating one. When you use taxpayer money, men, to bring businesses to a state, that's almost like incentivizing them and subsidizing them. The GOP platform where we live here 
says we don't do that. We want to create a favorable work environment where businesses will want to come here. And so therefore, we don't have to use taxpayer money to incentivize them. We can turn lower taxes so we don't need that money, put the money back in the hands of people. We create a free state, much like, again, Florida has done where 3,000 people are moving per day to that state. Businesses will be lining up wanting to come here. So again, there's there's certain parallels there. And then finally, just a long answer, short question. Yeah. Um, the current governor has multiple scandals going on right now. Currently under investigation by the Oklahoma County District Attorney for ethics, campaign ethics violation to the level of felony. So we're in a bad situation right now where my concern is if we don't nominate the right person, this person has a potential to be disqualified throughout the general election. So, uh, you know, I've made that public. I don't take my jollies and people having bad things happen to them. It doesn't make me happy, mm-hmm. but it looks bad for the state of Oklahoma. And we have to make sure we maintain the conservatism of Oklahoma. And the only way to do that, in my assessment, is if I'm the nomination for the Republican um, governor of Oklahoma. Well, that's so you're talking, so you're talking felony situation here with, with what's up, what's under investigation. Yes. So what's happened generally speaking. So this is public information. This is not for slander. This is out there. There was a commercial that was paid for by the stit for governor campaign Mm -hmm. for the 32nd spot and 15 seconds talked about all his accomplishments. Good. Um, And then 15 seconds talked about, his attorney general. Well, his attorney general is up for, he's an election too. And you can't, yeah. you can't use campaign money to supply another person's campaign. Yeah. It's commingling, right? It is. And it yeah. was $300,000 worth of TV commercials done. Oh, wow. So it was a clear violation, certainly. And a lot of people allege, and I, I agree with this, the attorney general that was appointed by this governor was, clearly laid out there and pictured. It wasn't like, you know, mentioned it was a picture. It was 15 seconds all about him and how the governor appointed this person. And this person happens to be behind in some polling. So it looks horrible. Um, Some of the Republican um, party attorney actually commented uh, on Twitter that it looks bad. It does rise to the level of felony because of the amount of money spent and it was referred by the houses to go over and have the uh, Oklahoma County DA investigate. He accepted that um, recommendation. He started the investigation. So that's what we know from a factual basis. Wow. That's um, to your point to have, to have him win and then have that fall apart at the wrong yeah. time that that doesn't that wouldn't be a good scene uh for oklahoma or no and, and around the country that would send a bad shockwave throughout the country i believe wouldn't it it would and, and the, the problem with it is is nobody really knows what happens so you're going along with in a yeah. race to get a general election you've got one can what happens do you find a substitute candidate do you resort to the um lieutenant governor, uh, governor? what do you do at that point you know right and and so nobody really knows so it's putting the state in a bad position and and that's not the only thing. There's been some other allegations of, of um, you know, bid processes that have been bypassed for friends and and, and just a, it's, a, it's a bad deal. And 
I don't like it. It looks terrible. And the, uh, the Democrats are being very silent on it right now. They're just waiting. I'm concerned that there's so many holes in the armor at this point that if, you know, we nominate the wrong person, it could be a disaster for the state. We could simply see the state turn blue and I don't want that to happen. Well, and, and we hear a lot of the talk that's out there with people right now is just, you know, the fact that these career politicians, people that have made a career in politics end up getting corrupted. Yeah. And, and you start, I mean, this is just another example. Again, I we'll see how this shakes out in, in what charges are, if any are, are actually placed, but, and how the investigation goes, but this has been the biggest issue, which is why I think, you know, when Trump ran as a non-politician, as a businessman, it was very attractive to the American people. Like, Hey, maybe a fresh perspective, because it seems like it's, Hey, you get into politics, you get a career politician to talk and talk and talk, which career politicians are great at talking and they, mm-hmm. and they never really do what they say they're going to do. And people just go, Oh, well, maybe the next guy will. And that seems to be just the ongoing thing. How, how Dr. Mark, how important do you think it is at this point with where we're at as a nation? And you've seen countless things happen across all different sectors of the economy and just things are not great right now. Although the Biden administration says how great they are. I don't know what lens they're looking through or, I don't know what's going on or how they could possibly think that in any way, shape or form it's by all, looking at the all, optics. It's all perfect. You're talking about. Oh, right. Uh, it's but, just wonderful. Yeah. How, how important do you think it is for a non-career politician uh, in, in your case, being that's a reality to start taking positions of, uh, of government, uh, you know, people, you know, governors, all the different types of positions that are available out there. How important do you think it is that non-politicians are the ones that take these seats? I think it's critical because ultimately the idea of politicians, you know, I'm going to do a little play on words here. Mm-hmm. Folly, there's many ticks, bloodsuckers. And so <laughs> this is exactly what it is. Yeah. And, yeah. and so what happens is you get politicians in there that really don't operate under the idea of common sense. They operate with just saying a bunch of stuff and they know what lies to say. They talk a lot, but they become multi-millionaires in there and they don't change anything. We've been seeing this pattern for the last 50 years, haven't we? And the first person to come in and really shake things up from a national level was Donald Trump, right? Because he was different. Mm -hmm. And so the problems lie in the temptation of money, fame, power, influence, right? And so look, I have that too. That's a temptation for me. It's a temptation for you. It's a temptation yeah. for both of you. It's a temptation for anybody. Certainly. But I recognize it. And because I recognize it and I have people around me, closest to me is my wife, we are not going to bend. And we have not. And so if you get compromised within the idea of influence or power or office, the compromise will change the decisions you make to go and give favoritism to those areas that's compromising in you. And so true leaders, statesmen, stateswomen, do not get swayed by compromise. They don't do things to get votes. They don't do things just for the people. They do things on behalf of the people. That's what statesmen do. And they stand in the gap, even if others don't understand it. So, you know, that's what we desire to do. And I think the criticality of putting honest, hardworking, non-career politicians that go in there just as a sense of duty, not a sense to build their careers. My wife and I don't need this. You, you all know yeah. that. 
Yep. Um, we're going in there because it has to be done for a time. And when it's done, when we're done, we'll turn return back to what we do and somebody else can take it over. Yeah. But that's the kind of standpoint we've got to get back. And that was our founding father's heart. There was no such thing as a career politician. These were farmers and yep. ranchers and, and pastors, man. They went into this with the idea, I'm going to go there and serve my country with dignity and honor for a time. And many of them lost their lives early on because of this. Mm -hmm. So it's a big deal what you said, that we really take it serious and we get politicians out, statesmen and stateswomen in. What yeah, is I, your what is your confidence level that Oklahoma has taken steps in regards to voter integrity? You know, I think there's some undercover or maybe uh, covert steps being taken right now uh, from grassroots people. Mm -hmm. I have people that text me probably once a week with information that is disturbing, quite honestly. They will do canvassing out here and they'll find 10, 11, 12, you know, of these bogus votes. I get these reports. And so I'm very concerned with it. Additionally, there's a system that's called ERIC, E-R-I-C. It's sort of this computerized system that goes in multiple databases across multiple states. Oklahoma and other states are getting into this deal to sort of um, standardize election processes. And so that's a problem. And so I have made the point multiple times the campaign trail that we've got to get back and do the following. We've got to um, do probably pick out two or three counties or one county, even that's highly populated and dense, do a great um, audit on it and follow it up with an excellent canvas. And I've had plenty of citizens say, man, I'm in, I'll help. And then you have to go back and once you determine what you determine, let the citizens know across the state, right? That this is not good, right? And then you redo the voter rolls. That's very important. You make sure the law is according to where you have to present valid ID. You have to be a citizen. You have to vote like that in person. Absentee ballots are minimized under only extreme circumstances. And then you have to get rid of any sort of computer system that has any sort of hackable feature. You have to have cameras on the voting sites, cameras to watch it, cameras to see it, along with poll watchers. And then you have to have potentially going back to paper ballots where people actually mm -hmm. learn to count once again. And I think all those steps have to occur. So we're uh, pitching that as a plan, as an idea that we need to have all of those things, uh, fair and impartial elections as the foundation for what we stand for. And so we have to do that. Yeah. We're doing the best we can. We're hoping to sort of break the algorithm this time with all the people showing up. You know, um, we believe we got a good chance like that. But nonetheless, we got work to do there. Well, yeah, and it's extremely I mean, obviously, it's extremely important that that people believe that their vote actually counts. I mean, otherwise, because you said to your point, I mean, we got to get people out to vote. We have to get yeah. those people off the couch or whatever and get them out to the out to the voting booths. And they need to have the confidence, right, that what they're doing at that at that voting booth or when they sign that, um, you know, uh, paper ballot or whatever it is, they want to know that this is actually meaningful. Right. Otherwise, yeah. the, you know, you, the people lose confidence and all of a sudden, you know, these elections are something that become unimportant and they're extremely important. And you have a, you have two really really extremely emotional subjects uh, in in situations that have happened. Um, you know, you mentioned one of them already. You know, we have we have uh, Roe versus Wade, that whole situation. Yeah. So um, tell us, you know, just a little bit more about that. Where do you stand on Roe versus Wade, and then what should Oklahoma do if abortion is sent back to the states? 
Well, I believe that uh, Roe v. Wade was an opinion. It wasn't a law. You know, even earlier this year, uh, the Biden administration was trying to get it to um, a law. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a national issue, but it's also a state issue. The national issue is this. That opinion was wrong. It violated the protection of citizens of the United States. Unborn, preborn don't have a voice. So their mm -hmm. idea of due process, they had no voice to say, wait a minute, I deserve to live. So that was violated. It was a bad opinion, right? The states acquiesced to the opinion and therefore allowed their own laws to be changed because they gave up this right to a non-lawmaking judiciary. And so that's very important to understand. Mm -hmm. So the states always had, always will have the ability to say no to abortion. Give an example. The federal government still has a law that says you can't possess or sell marijuana. Mm -hmm. How many states right now have a law that says you can? So it's not an yeah. issue that they control things. It's an issue that the states needed to step up on. And we wouldn't be having this opinion uh, now if the, the churches, the sheriffs, the governors would have stepped up in 1973. Yeah, I believe that abortion is completely wrong. As I sit and talk with both you, James, and you, Mike, uh, please understand that I'm a product of a rape situation. And it doesn't make me feel great to say that, you know. And then at the same time, I look at my life as like, wait a minute, I'm not a mistake. And neither are you. Neither is anybody. So even the people that are arguing pro-choice actually are abolitionists because they want to be heard, right? They're like, I have an opinion. I'm like, great, you do, and I appreciate you, but you want your opinion to be heard. That means you believe life is valuable. So it needs to be um, addressed from a national level. Bad, bad opinion needs to be overturned. But from a state level, we need to enact legislation that says no more. My concern is this is because it's been allowed to continue so long, James and Mike, that there's going to be an increase in that murderous abortion spirit because when you tell the devil or evil that evil can't operate, evil ramps up. And so you're going to see states like California, they're already talking about it, becoming abortion sanctuary states. You're going to see legislation panned about that says abortion is okay, even after delivery up to two weeks. You just let that baby lay there and die. That's actually being out there already. So don't be surprised at any of this. But I'm praying to God that, that governors and sheriffs, which are the two most important people, positions, I believe, within our elective bodies in this country because of various things. I believe that states like Oklahoma can step up and say, no, we're not going to do that. And we will become a sanctuary of life rather than a sanctuary of murder. And I want to see Oklahoma do that. I would like to see other states do that as well. Under no circumstance should it be tolerated. And we've seen the degradation of life, you guys. We've seen yeah. the, the degradation of the meaning of life, the value of life. And it does progress into other areas, too. If you can kill an unborn person with no conscience, where do you think our society gets the ability or willingness to go kill harmless students with no conscience? It's yeah. the same root. It's murderous heart in mankind, and we've allowed that in. And we need to repent of that, turn it around, go a different direction, and allow, you know, God, who really, I believe, can fix this problem if we let him. 
Well, one of the things that Mike and I talk about sometimes, and, and one of the things that just I can't get my arms around and, and at all is that how celebrated it is. You know, it, it, no matter how somebody feels on the subject, right? And I, I we're we're pro life um, through and through here. Yep. You know, but if somebody, let's say, is pro choice, and let's say they go through with that and whatnot. Why is it celebrated? You know, it just seems so evil and cruel. Like it should be a sad moment, no matter what. <laughs> That's a horrible, horrible thing that for somebody to have to feel like they have to go do this. They feel like they don't have the support. They don't have the infrastructure of a family unit. And like, this is the only choice I have because my life will be over. And some women probably feel that way. But why, why do these folks celebrate it? I mean, if it's, it's a loss of life, why is that such a good thing? I mean, there's, you see people cheering about this and, yeah, it's unbelievable to me. I don't I, that is something that's unconscionable to me. Like, why is it should be a very, very sad and somber thing that that is an act that is that has taken place if you are on that side of the fence. But no, it, they take the root of, oh, we have to celebrate this. And that to me is the most sick thing about it beyond the it act is. itself. Yeah, you're seeing that transition into this idea of even people surrounding those uh, justice's house in uh, DC. Yeah. Yeah. Saying, we want you to die and hang. And, and, you know, we have a, such a sick, twisted sense of life now that, and I'm going to say something now for shock value, but mm -hmm. I really believe this, that the same group of people that celebrate the murder of babies, unborn, preborn, et cetera, mm -hmm. are the same group of people that could see a, a body hanging from a tree of someone they didn't like and celebrate it. That mm -hmm. is the, and that, that's exactly the same heart. You know, when you talk about the, the the role of evil inside of a person's heart and it goes into in the gun laws, the whole bit, you know, on one hand, they say you can't protect yourself. On one hand, they say we don't care. It's 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 all confused. We have a morality problem. We have a moral compass issue problem. We have a lack of God problem. And to think that the federal government can legislate morality into mankind yeah. or legislate murder out of man's heart is is the the definition of ludicrous and so we've got to really hear what you're saying today and i hope yeah. people understand that the delicacy of what we're dealing with but also the seriousness of this nature well and we have another major issue um you know which is the second amendment you know in this country and and you know you have this is what politicians do they use tragedies like the school shooting in texas to go and fuel the fire of pulling rights away from good people that actually do the right thing and abide by all the laws and, you know, in, in, in value moral, the moral compass in human life. So now we have a situation where it's being again politicized for, mm -hmm. for whatever movement or thing they're trying to do, which is taking more rights away from us and violating the constitution. So Dr. Mark, what steps would you take, um, you know, to secure schools and protect children uh, if you were elected governor? Well, first, let's understand the uh, discussions the uh, Congress is having about this, all mm -hmm. this nonsense does not really apply to the states as the yep. same argument I've, you know, stated. 19 yep. states have red flag laws, 31 does, don't. So it's not going to be a universal application. It's very subjective in nature. Yep. As a former law enforcement officer, I have experienced training for school shootings. I've been on the SWAT team. I've seen shooters look in the eye, and I'm telling you, they don't obey the law. There's no conscience there. So, again, gun rules are not going to really fix the problem. Criminals don't follow the law, and they will get guns. Here is really a three-step approach that I know will work because I saw it work 
in the country of Israel several years ago. They have a big armed guard. Israel's only had maybe a half dozen attacks on schools in 50 years. So step number one, you have a visible armed security force that you see out front. These cowards, perpetrators, went to schools to create mass casualties are looking for soft targets. They're looking for places of no or little resistance. They want to come in there, inflict as much carnage as they can, as much death as they can, and then they typically check out and kill themselves. That's what they do, yeah. right? So first line is you, a visible deterrent right there. They have to see that this is not going to be easy. Step number two, they have to have a one-way in entrance. It's highly surveilled on cameras. It needs to be documented all the time. Of course, there's multiple exits in case of emergency, but those stay closed, closed in case of until emergencies. And step number three, and this is very important, mm -hmm. you put signs around that perimeter and on that building that says, be advised, personnel in this premises may be armed. So then you have this third line of visual deterrence. So now they don't know how many they're going to be outgunned by and who has guns, et cetera. So they're going to go somewhere else. And yeah, we want you don't... them to go anywhere else except near our schools. That is completely yeah. unacceptable. we got to take that mentality. Yeah, you don't see too many uh, headlines saying man shoots up police station. You don't. <laughs> right? No. Yeah. You don't For a reason. because they won't go in there. They're right. going to get they're going to get completely met with all kinds of force. And, and that's exactly the mentality we need to have. I've had parents say, well, that looks bad. Okay. I, I agree. It looks bad. However, the soldier in Israel said something to me that I'll never forget. This has been 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. He said, no one is getting past me to get to them. That's our future. These are our future leaders. Yeah. We must protect them at all costs. And you know what? That statement is extremely true, and we have to take the the idea of protecting our kids. If we don't protect our kids, we've lost a generation. As Ronald Reagan said, he's, he's right, mm -hmm. we're one generation away from losing our freedom. Look, we're already on the edge right now enough. Let's make that place a place of protection, a safe haven, and certainly learning, and obviously another subject, not a place of indoctrination. And we see more and more of that, right? We see more yes. and more of the indoctrination. And, um, and the thing is, you know, you get, you get parents that try to stand up and they go to these school board meetings and then they get vilified and some of them arrested for trying to stand up. And that yet, but yet you see people that completely break the law during riots and looting and all this stuff. And then they're bailed out by, they're bailed out by our own government. You know, when they've clearly damaged, hurt people, hurt people uh, in, in multiple ways. And then you see the people that, you know, were at the Capitol building on January 6th. And again, certain people did break the law, but those were misdemeanors. And those yep. folks are now some of them in in prison and for a very, potentially a very long time. And so you can see clearly that this this is not a fair situation in any way, shape or form um, that's happening in this country. And, and do you believe that? Steps like this by having, like I said, non-politicians and people that really have a good heart for America and Americans taking, uh, you know, taking things into their own hands peacefully like you are by just running for for a, to you know, be part of the system as a non-system person, as a critical component of this, uh, you know, moving forward. I think it's vital because look, yeah. people today need hope. They need to have a hope, you know, like. Faith is the substance of hope for the evidence of things not seen. 
So we got to have a little faith that gives us hope. And if we have that restored, James, Mike, man, that is the heart of America. That's the heartbeat of America. And our mission around Oklahoma and really around the country has been to rally the troops to become hope dealers once again, right? We need to begin to have hope again in what we stand for as a country, one nation under God, indivisible. I mean, nobody can divide us with liberty, freedom, and justice, righteousness for everybody. And we get to that point again, we'll be good. But we have got to believe that it's there. When people lose their hope, they become hopeless. And that's Mm -hmm. when they become controlled. And that's when tyranny arises. But when people have hope, they rise up, the voice is heard, and then the government begins to fear them because they're afraid of their voice. That is called freedom. And that's what we we intend to do. That's what we have to do. And regardless of whatever happens, we're going to still do that. Well, those are inspirational words, and we appreciate that. Now, I know we're running up against our time this evening. Um, where, uh, I guess, first of all, where can people learn more about your candidacy? Um, you know, I guess, what, what resources should they look for, and where can they find those things? Well, they can go to our website at Sherwood2022.com, and, and I encourage people to go there right mm-hmm. now and at least learn. We've got, um, we've got teachings on there that I did myself on all 27 amendments. I mean, we just got a little video nice. through one of them. It's kind of cool, right? Um, go on there and learn the issues, right? And when, if you don't learn the issues, you have no knowledge and you don't even know how to vote. So this is not just an Oklahoma thing. Mm-hmm. This is an American thing. And I hope people take advantage of that. Sherwood2022.com. Sherwood2022.com. Um, that's where you can find more information about Dr. Sherwood's candidacy and what his intentions are if he gets elected. Now, uh, Dr. Mark, before we depart tonight, and I can't thank you enough for being on. It's been awesome talking to you again. Um, uh, we had a great time with you too, again, in, in Myrtle Beach, and we're looking forward to you see you at the next event in, in Virginia Beach. What would you like to leave us with uh, before we depart for the evening? Well, thank you guys for having me. I'm super honored and Anytime, reach out, man. I'm at your service. Um, Honestly, I want people to hear my heart with this. America is not dead. America is not done. We're just getting started. Sometimes things have to be broken down Mm. for us to realize how bad they are. But when they get broken down, that represents an opportunity of what they can be once again. And I submit to people that we can be better than we've ever been before. Because when adversity strikes this great country, Strong men and women rise. But this time when strong men and women rise, let's hang on to the goodness that's created and never allow our backs to be turned or our eyes to be wavered away from the focus of liberty and justice for all again. Because when we take our eyes off the prize, we get distracted. And that can create perilous times again, like we're in now. So good times are coming. Great men and women are arising. Let's rally the troops and keep on going. And America can be saved again, but it can't be saved unless we save our own backyards first. So let's save the state and local level. And that's the key to getting our republic regained again. Awesome. Well, Dr. Mark, we appreciate your time this evening. We appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, you know, we're pulling for you. Uh, I love, I love your, uh, I love your energy and um, I love uh, what you stand for. So Thank you again for being on. God bless you, sir. And God bless the great work that you and your campaign team and your, and your wife and everyone's doing behind the scenes. I know it's a lot. Um, yeah. God bless everybody out there listening this evening. Um, and as always, God bless America. Until next time, be safe and well.